In the 1970s, a future top-notch podcasting team was born, and then raised on military bases because their dads were in the Air Force. These Gen Xers eventually grew up and were unleashed upon the world. Today, looking forward to retirement, they survive by dishing out their opinions. If you have questions that need answers and an open mind, if you can spare 60 minutes a week, and if you have internet access, maybe you can listen to Kenyatta and Jack Save the World. Starbug, what do you hear? Nothing but the rain. Then grab your gun and bring in the cat. Listening friends, we're bringing in the cat. And thank you for joining us once again for another episode. I don't know how many of you out there uh, caught that opening line, but that is exactly what we will be talking about today in this episode and our next episode. We have a special two-parter on one of our mutual favorite shows of all time, Battlestar Galactic. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Sorry to play that so fast on you. No, it was actually perfect timing. So I can't even be mad. I can't <laughs> even be mad. So yes, that's where we'll be, we'll be um, diving into uh, today and next week. So up front, if you are one of those people that enjoy sci-fi but have never seen this show, stop listening and go watch the entire four season series it is definitely worth your time and i guarantee you you will probably binge it once you're done come back and listen to this two part because we'll probably have posted the second part by the time you get done come back and listen and um see if your vibe matches with ours needless to say we have a very very positive one so without further ado we'll get into it yes yes obviously well, maybe not, obviously. Both of us love, love, love the 2004 remake, Battlestar Galactica. However, that wouldn't exist had ABC decided that they didn't want to have their version of Star Wars. And that's how <laughs> Battlestar Galactica kind of came around, which gave us that amazing theme song that I just uh, just played. So, Kenyatta, did you want to say a a little bit about the original Battlestar Galactica, your thoughts, and then maybe I could go in and just give a real quick uh, a little history on that. The original series. Hmm. Really? What, what can I say about it? I'm, I'll put it this way. I was, we were, we were both pretty young when that came out in 1978. And I believe the original series lasted what a season. Yep. It was, it was campy. And there's nothing wrong with campy because some of the best the best movies and TV shows are campy. But just like Jack said, it was them, the network wanting their own version of Star Wars, which in 1978, that's all anybody was talking about was Star Wars. So they were like, hey, let's cash in on this sci-fi, you know, ships and things. And the original concept uh, in the original show and in the reboot was that humanity is running from their created artificial life form called Cylons. That's the premise. That's it. It's it's while the original series only had a season, and I I guess that's the reason why it didn't get as fleshed out as it could have been. Again, the idea was campy. Not bad, just campy. After the first season, like I said, it got canceled. 24 episodes, that's all they got. They tried to spin off to a show called Galactica 1980. That did even worse. So in the ratings, that doesn't mean there's not a gang of people out there that still love this show like they just saw yesterday. It's a, right. it's a cult thing. So that's yeah, the show. Yeah. Um, that's, that's the basic plot. Yes. Yeah. I'll just give this uh, sort of a brief synopsis. Battlestar Galactica was a science fiction television series created by Glenn A. Larson, which if you know anything about TV shows from the late 70s and the early 80s, that dude created about half of them. He also created Knight Rider, I believe the A-Team. Mm. 
I mean, that dude was a prolific creator of television series, but him creating Battlestar Galactica and Knight Rider explains why the sound effect for the flashing red light of the Cylon eyes and Kit is the exact same effect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Budgetary concerns. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and it did start out as a, it was a made for TV movie, but it also was edited down so that it was released in theaters at that same time. And it had an ensemble cast, ensemble, ensemble cast of Lauren Green, Richard Hatch, Dirt Benedict. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And um, then, like you said, partially why it was canceled is because it was just very, very expensive to produce science or uh, special effects in the late seventies you know, can't be done, couldn't be done as cheap, not that it's cheap now, but, you know, as cheaply and as well as it can now, Mm -hmm. which led to the spinoff series Galactic in 1980. They did that because it took place on Earth, and it's a lot cheaper to walk around Los Angeles and film crap than it is to have all of the the special effects. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like you said, there was definitely some camp. (laughs) There was uh, the dog, the robot dog, which course now that i need to remember his name Um, but that was actually portrayed by a chimpanzee in a costume fancy that it was trained so yeah that's just sort of a brief brief rundown on the uh, original series but had the original series not existed we wouldn't have got the complete zero amount of camp from the (laughs) (laughs) re-imaged battle star (laughs) Before we go into that, here's a little blurb. In 1978, 20th Century Fox, the movie studio, sued Universal Studios, who were the producers of the original Battlestar Galactica, for plagiarism, copyright infringement, unfair competition, and what's called Lanham Act claims, uh, which uh, infringement on copyrights, um, uh, claiming it had stolen 34 distinct ideas from Star Wars. (laughs) <laughs> yep. Universal promptly countersued, claiming Star Wars had stolen ideas from their 1972 film Silent Running. Notably, notably the robot drones in the Buck Rogers serial of the 1930s. And Buck Rogers is another one of those can't be sci-fi as it has a well-deserved cult following, but that's that's for another time. Um <laughs> 20th Century Fox, uh, Fox's copyright claims were initially dismissed by the trial court in 1980. Then the United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit remanded a case for trial in 1983, which was later resolved without trial. Whatever that means, it, I guess it pretty much was, yeah, we just stole each other's ideas. Just leave it there. That may have been it. Who knows? But that's how close, apparently, the ideas and themes were for the original show. Yeah. But, you know, what, can, what yeah. can you say? Some of that you probably know? had to do with the fact that Battlestar Galactica was no longer on TV. Yes. In 1983, had it still been a, say there was a continuation of the original season, you know, and they were on season five or whatever, maybe the lawsuit mm-hmm. would have continued. But at that point, mm-hmm. everyone was like, we're just wasting money on a show that's not being aired. Yes. Yes. That's a, that's a good point. Like I said, it, it didn't matter at that at that instance whether or not anybody stole anything or not. But hey, I mean, in the in the seventies, you only had but so many ideas for sci-fi movies and TV shows. Anyway, it wasn't a big old huge deep well. So probably yeah. a lot of things resembled a lot of other things at the time. So, but from that, like Jack said, without that show, we could not have gotten the brilliance. Um, teen years later, that is the reboot or the reimagining, as they call it. So, you want to go into that? Yeah. Do you want to uh, move into our one sentence description of BSG that you gave me? And all of a sudden, I felt like I was in high school with a big giant assignment. It was not big giant. Stop. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. The idea, um, listening friends, was that the both of us would come up in one sentence and be able to summarize this entire series in one sentence. It was a tough job and you'll find out, you know, as you continue to listen to the episode, you'll find out why, because there's so much to it. But mine was, or is the last remnants of humanity are being chased through the galaxy by the vengeful cyborgs they created called Cylons, 
who've decided humans must be annihilated once and for all. Very good. I mean, that was hard. It really was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was bare I, bones. <laughs> yeah, it, it it was surprisingly difficult to take something that, you know, the miniseries in four seasons and boil it down to, you know, essentially a sentence. Mm-hmm. That was the challenge. <laughs> yes, yes. So what I got is the reimaged BSG is at its core a military television series dealing with the geopolitical events taking place in America from 2001 to 2009 that just happens to take place in space. That's good. That's a good. Uh, that's a good assessment. I like that. And yes, uh, Tareen, right? It, it is. It is. A fictional, yes, representation of what was happening in the world during that time period. So that was very, very well put and accurate. That's good. That's good. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And a lot of the themes that were addressed in this reimagining that weren't in the original. And again, it may have just been the times in the 70s that they just weren't things that they were going to address or just the taste of the listening. I mean, the viewing audience. Or pretty much the fact that they just didn't want to deal with it. But the reimagining did. It dabbled in politics, as Jack said, war, religion, xenophobia. And in a smaller, just smaller degrees, not that they're smaller issues, but to smaller degrees, they touched on abortion and racism, things, and several other isms. So for what it was, it was a timely show. And one of the main themes in the show is everything that has happened, has already happened and will happen again. And the stuff that the show was touching on, like Jack said, during that time period, those things are in a different expression, but the same type of things are happening right now. So. Uh, yes. Yeah. In a, in a huge way. So, yes, they did. And, and I, I think I can safely speak for Jack when I say, they did a wonderful job on touching all these things. And to me, they, they was, for the most part, 90% of the episodes did a very realistic job of being able to express those things. There were some stinkers in there. When I'm not going to lie. There were some stinker episodes and plot lines, but they were few and far between. So, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, when you're talking about sort of like accuracy in this, the re-image, you know, basically their space fleet is just, the U.S. military or the U.S. Navy sort of mm-hmm. in structure and how it works and all of that stuff. But I think one of the reasons that they kind of got the viewpoint and all of that part so accurate is the executive producer who developed the show when was the showrunner and the head writer, Ronald D. Moore, um, also uh, Star Trek The Next Generation Deep Space Nine alum and mm-hmm. current producer of Outlander, um, was a Navy veteran. Mm, okay. So he already knew the, you know, the structure and what it's like to be in the Navy and all of that stuff. And I think that's one of the things that really helped with the realism of the military aspects of Battlestar, of the, you know, reimage Battlestar Galactica. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes, indeed. So mm-hmm. it started its premiere episode and technically there was a two-part miniseries that started the whole thing off, but its first episode technically came after those. It depends on, you know, what you want to believe. The miniseries is part of season one or not. It doesn't matter. But there was a miniseries, two-part miniseries that um, aired on Sci-Fi, which, is, which was its original broadcasting network, on December 8th and December 9th of 2003. However... The first official season did not start until almost a year later on October 18th of 2004 and ran through January 2005. Season two, 2005 to 2006. Season three, 2006 to 2007. And in between season three and season four, there was a, another um, miniseries, I guess you'd say, called Razor, which was a backstory about uh, another character who wasn't part of the main cast of the show itself, but it tied into Pegasus. some events that had happened. Yeah, some events that had happened at the end of season three. And then season four, it's last season from April 2008 to 2009. And after that, later in October 2009, was a um, 
three hour miniseries called The Plan. And again, it was like another backstory that centered on Cylons. So, yeah, there it yeah. is in a nutshell, as far as its uh, broadcast history is concerned. Yeah, The Plan was basically the whole four year series summed up in what two hours from the Cylons point of view. Right. It was two, yeah. two of the, the Cylons arguing, maybe we shouldn't have done it. Yeah, we certainly should have, you know, it's, <laughs> it was actually one of my favorite Cylons. If you can, if you can say that you had a favorite Cylon, that one was one of my favorite. I think that was the number five Cylon, uh, John Cavill. Okay. That was played, that was played by um, um, Sam from, uh, not Sam. Uh, what's his face? Al, no. From Quantum Leap. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I can't. Why can't I think of his name? Uh, Dean Stockwell. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Like, and they had, his name they is had right quite, there. They had uh, several pretty good actors that played Cylons. Uh, Lucy oh, Lawless. Yeah. And then, of course, there were some other uh, actors that were Cylons that were sort of the regular. But, of course, there was number six, model number six, played by Trisha Helfer, which... For an actress, that that was her first role. Mm -hmm. She did a phenomenal job. She knocked that apart because there were how many different versions of her were involved in the main plot? Like three, three, three or four. See, there was head six, and then there was six that um that was on the Pegasus, and that ended yep. up with Colonel Ty. Yeah. There were actually two versions of Head Six. There was Head Six that was in Baltar's head, and then there was the Head Six that after she downloaded to her new body after the first one was killed. And let's not forget the six that was with Baltar on Caprica. Right. That had, had talked him into, you know, doing what he did in the first place. And she died. That was right. that was her and downloader, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the one that that Head Six back. is based on. Right. So yeah, there are quite a few. Quite a few sixes, and she was she was something else. She got on my nerves every now and then, but she was something else. So yeah, imagine yeah. imagine being uh, a human being racked with guilt and a huge amount of arrogance to have your own subconscious talking to you through a destroyed cyborg in your head. If that yeah. doesn't if that doesn't describe Baltar as being crazy, I don't know what does. <laughs> yeah, right. Once in the actor that played Baltar. Uh, James Calais, he he mm -hmm. also did a, a phenomenal job. Do we want to real him. quick? Um, I know we were just sort of uh, talking about uh, the this reimaged version, um, but I would like to point out that it's not just Ken and I that love this series. These are all the awards that it won while it was airing: a Peabody Award, a Television Critics Association's Program of the Year Award, a placement inside Times 100 Best TV Shows of All Time. 19 Emmy nominations for its writing, directing, costume design, visual effects, sound mixing, and sound editing. Three Emmy wins, uh, visual effects and sound editing. And in 2019, the New York Times placed the show on its list of the 20 best TV dramas since The Sopranos ended. So that's quite a bit of critical acclaim, I would say. I would think so. I would, th And all of it well deserves, in our humble opinions. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And then um, since we're here, I thought it would be interesting to compare the, obviously the characters are, you know, the same from the original to uh, the re-image. But I thought it'd be kind of interesting to talk about the original actor and then the actor that portrayed him in 2004. So in the original, 78, Admiral Adama slash Commander Adama was portrayed by Lauren Green. And then in the reimaged, it was portrayed by Edward James Almos, mm -hmm. um, who has also had a, a pretty phenomenal career in his own right. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, he was the lieutenant in Miami Vice for the police department. He was in uh, oh my one gosh. of my all time favorite Save Your Teacher movies, Stand and Deliver. Yeah, he was in Stand and Deliver. He was in the Harrison Ford film Blade Runner. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, um, yeah, he's, yeah. He he's a national treasure. I'm just yeah, yeah. He definitely is, and um, he knocked that part out of <laughs> out of the park. 
from the first time you see him in the miniseries, he nails it and he stays he stays realistically consistent throughout the entire show. To me, there was only a handful of characters that did that because some of the character arcs were just weird and didn't really right. make a whole lot of sense. But I guess, you know, when you're talking about human beings under that kind of stress, you you are bound to do some weird shit. But his yeah. is one of the handful of characters that you're like, okay, I get it. I don't like that he did it, but I get it. Right. He, he was my dude. He was, he was one of my favorites. Yeah. And, one of the aspects that I kind of appreciate about the image, you know, in the very, you know, the first 10 minutes is about how the Galactica is getting retired because it's a 50 year old spaceship and Adama is retiring. And so the first, he portrays that beginning part of we're about to retire. I don't necessarily want to retire, but I want to retire because I'm freaking tired from being in the military for the past mm-hmm. 50 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so there's a certain amount of, of weariness that, you know, having your life, you know, take place like that. And he portrayed that so well. We all know somebody who's been at a job for, you know, 40 years and they like their job. Mm-hmm. You know, they enjoy their job. Mm-hmm. but they're just tired from doing their job for 40 years. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. He, he nailed it. As far as I'm concerned, he nailed it. So, so who else, um, as far as the cast of characters from old to new? Well, um, the next character would be Apollo, mm-hmm. which is Adama's son. Apollo is his uh, pilot handle. Original series. He didn't have a name. He was just, Apollo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and actually, in the original series, Admiral Adama was just Admiral Adama. One of the things that the reboot did was give everybody actual first names and names. They actually like personified them. <laughs> right. And so in the reboot, Apollo was still his call sign, but he had an, you know, an actual name. His name was Lee Adama. Mm-hmm. And Admiral Adama was uh, William Bill Adama. And mm-hmm. yes, they used English names, but I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, you're going to kind of have to do stuff like that. And um, in the original, 1978, Apollo was portrayed by the actor Richard Hatch. Mm-hmm. And in the reboot, he was portrayed by actor Jamie Bamber. Mm-hmm. Who is British. Yes. It was so right? weird when you right? found out that he was on <laughs> Law & Order London and he's talking with his normal accent. And it's like, wait, what? Because oh, his American accent was so good. I had no idea he was British. I did not either. I think until after, I don't even know what point I found out that he was British, but I was in shock. I'm like, who is this guy? He's been lying to us. No, we just, we weren't paying attention. Yeah, yeah. And one of the interesting things they did do, though, was Jamie Bamber has blue eyes. And mm-hmm. through the entirety of this of the show edward james almost wore blue contacts so that they could have that more you know familiar uh, family tie going on Mm -hmm. now in the original series apollo had a sister that was also a pilot athena Mm -hmm. the re-imaged did not have athena in it at all Um, apollo had a brother but his brother had basically died before the show started the re-image did have athena did it? But yes, that was one of the number eights. Okay, that but came back and they because the I'm, I have it straight in my head. Let me see if I say it right. Because you had number eight was uh, a plant on the Galactica crew. She was a um, a transport pilot and having an affair with the the, the chief deck officer. Well, that was uh, that was Boomer. That was Boomer. But, but when then the, the replacement was Athena. Correct. And she right. married Hilo. He was one of my favorites, too. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yes. Um, well, that is a difference then in the original was mm-hmm. the Athena mm-hmm. was actually uh, Apollo's sister. Right. And then um, we have Starbuck, mm-hmm. who in 1978 was played by the wonderful Dirk Benedict, mm-hmm. who was also face in the A-team. Yes, yes, he was. And uh, he played the sort of snarky, womanizing Starbuck who is cocky because he knows he's the best pilot out there 
character that you can play. Mm-hmm. Uh, cigar smoking played it wonderfully. And as frequently happens with fan people when they do casting that they are not happy with, when it was announced that Katie Sackhoff was playing Starbuck because they gender swapped the character, there was a massive uproar. Fanboys all over the world went crazy. How dare you? As they sit in their parents' basements. How dare you? <laughs> and um, to be fair, Dirk Benedict, when it was first announced, was also kind of irritated by that. Yes, I have a um, Yeah. Well, do you want to play it? No, I'll, I'll read it. Okay. This is what he said upon, you know, this announcement. Quote, there was a time, I know I was there, when men were men, women were women, and sometimes the cigar was just a good smoke. But 40 years of feminism have taken their toll. The war against masculinity has been won. Everything has turned into its opposite. So that was so that was once flirting and smoking is now sexual harassment and criminal. And everyone is more lonely and miserable as a result. Right. And the funny bitter. (laughs) Yeah. The funny thing about that is that Katie Sackhoff Starbuck smoked cigarettes. She wasn't a woman. Her character wasn't a womanizer, but was a manonizer. She got around. <laughs> she had no prop. She smoked. She drank. She did the hokey pokey. Uh, whatever. She got did. in fist fights. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> Everything. Super <That's> cocky. <laughs> arrogant to the point of frustration. She was everything that the original Apollo was and then some. Right. The the cool thing though is after watching her portrayal, mm. yeah, Dirk Benedict did come around. He did eventually think that she portrayed Starbuck amazingly. I heard, and this is what I read in my research, that apparently, I don't know how true it was, but he had been trying for some time to get his own version of a reboot off the ground. It wasn't successful. Yeah. And then I also read that he was offered a small part remember in the miniseries um when they showed like every year you know how every year the humans in the silence got together that armistice right point and just said yeah everything's there and then they went about their business they had supposedly had offered uh benedict that role of the the human guy that comes and gets blown up right that opens up the show supposedly he was supposed to play that part and i suppose Maybe he turned it down. Maybe him bad-mouthing it at the beginning kind of soured them on it. Who knows? But Richard Hatch didn't do that. Richard Hatch got a pretty meaty guest role on a couple episodes. Yeah, what was it? A couple of seasons, his character was actually a main cast member. Maybe not in every episode cast member, but he ended up being the vice president. Yeah, he was was heavy in his guest spots. Yeah. It was actually uh, Dirk and Richard Hatch that were trying to bring back uh, Battlestar Galactica. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what, you know, Richard did that Dirk didn't. But, hey, that's what happens. But, uh, yeah, that role that Richard Hatch had, he was, I hated him, but he played the shit out of that role. He really oh, did. Yeah, he did. <laughs> and, and, and that set off, that was that particular episode that he starred in actually touched on another one of the things that I completely forgot about until now, which was classism. He was part of a, um, he was a prisoner yep. on a prison ship. And when the crew of the Galactica comes and, and tries to get some of the prisoners to do some hard labor and in, in, in exchange for shortening their sentences, he steps up and represents the prisoner. He's like, yeah, that's not good enough. So that sets off a whole chain of events, you know, that lasts. And then he pops up, you know, later on in another season, like you said, is the, um, through a, a, a convulted series of events, eventually becomes the vice president. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, moving on. Another character from the original is Boomer, who in the original series was played by Herbert Jefferson Jr. And um, he's a black actor. So clearly that was a black character. But in the reboot, Boomer was portrayed by actress Grace Park, who's uh, Asian-American. So not only did they gender swap, they, I guess, race swapped. I don't know. Um, But once again, having watched the series, it's a decision that I think was the right one to make because she played that character so well. And I don't think the rebooted character would have worked 
had it been played uh, by a man. Well, especially since <laughs> the character. Well, considering, yes. <laughs> that would have really made it difficult. Yeah. That, that aspect aside, though, I think even if it would have just been like a military character and that side quest didn't occur, I I don't think the character would have worked as well. She was always... That character was all, and even though her, like her character, she's one of the Cylons. She was number eight. And, you know, she reoccurs, just like we mentioned earlier, she reoccurs in different versions along the series. But she was never one of my favorites. I tried a lot to try to like her in every incarnation they had her in. I was just like, ah, ah. And that particular number Cylon becomes instrumental in what happens near the end of the series her mm-hmm. um the eights and the sixes uh particularly but i was just like i just i mean grace park is a wonderful actress but the character just uh, i don't know i don't know i don't know i don't know which which means she did a good job <laughs> it, it does it does mean she did a good job because if they can make you feel one way or the other that means they're doing their they're doing their work so yeah one of the aspects that i found completely sort of cool that tied it into like the real world is even though the Cylons were synthetic, they were biologically synthetic. And the, one of the ways that you could tell the difference between Cylon and normal people is that all Cylons had type O blood types and the non Cylons had, you know, the normal a B positive, negative, you know, all of that stuff. So that was one of the things that you could tell the difference between Cylons and people was the blood type of O positive and O negative, which um, I I used to like to tease my wife and kids because I'm the only non-O positive member of my family. And I used to tease them about how I married into a family of Cylons. And um, I, I don't know, I just always found that interesting. But because of that, they were still... Um, do we want to give this next part away? Spoiler alert. If you don't want to know this next part, fast forward about 30 seconds. The Cylons that were the synthetic human based were able to reproduce with normal humans, which was an incredible thing. And nobody thought was going to be able to happen. That was an amazing plot point. Like it, it literally, it literally shifted the entire focus of the series at that point. Like, (gasps) And then later on, we find out the two Cylons were able to reproduce. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Let that blow your mind for a minute. <laughs> yep, 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 for sure. Well, there are just sort of two more main characters that I was going to touch on, and that mm-hmm. would be the character of Gaius Baltar. Mm-hmm. And um, in the original series, he was played by John Colicos. Mm-hmm. And they're... Baltar and the reimage Baltar, which was played by James Calais, while both bad, the original one was actually more traitor and evil than the reimaged one because the reimaged one felt immense, immense, immense guilt for what his part was, mm-hmm. like to the point to where it drove him crazy. Mm-hmm. And the other dude was just flat out, yeah, I hate you guys. The Cylons like me they made me the leader f you <laughs> i mean but did they reimagine baltar did he really feel guilty or he was just scared of getting caught i think it was both because mm. that like the entire series he's just sweating bullets like oh my god gonna, especially the first season oh my god they're gonna find out they're gonna find out right because he also doesn't want to die because he's kind of essentially a coward yeah a self-centered coward yes absolutely but I do think he did. I don't think head six, head six would have existed had it not been his guilt. Mm, there is that. There is that. Because they had the episode in what, season one where they had another version of six that shows up on the Galactica. And she's supposed to be some kind of technician saying, no, that was later. She shows up as like another a scientist or something saying we have footage from the data banks from Caprica showing where, you know, somebody went in there and filled with it and gave away the access code, blah, 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 blah. And he pretty much gaslights guys into doing some dumb shit. And guys was always doing some dumb shit. Like yeah, <laughs> for as smart yeah. as he was, he was like the smartest, dumbest dude. 
and the entire cast, like he would do some dumb shit in desperation. Yeah, yeah. I guess the one thing we haven't really sort of mentioned is we've talked about the war between the Cylons, but we need to talk about the fact that it was complete and utter devastation that the Cylons put on humans. Because oh yeah, that was, the humans that was world. Be had, there oh. were it was a twelve world system, of, you know, twelve mm-hmm. planets people lived on, and it was a population in the billions. billions. I'm not talking yeah. seven billion. We're talking you know fifty, sixty billion. Mm-hmm. Because of what Baltar did, the Cylons were able to drop all of the military defense codes, and then they nuked the crap out of all 12 planets at once all of the military craft they were shut down and they were able to destroy all of them but one ship the galactica and why was the galactica not affected because it wasn't connected to the rest of the system because it was a 50 year old ship getting to retire and after that they scrounged Mm -hmm. up ships that were already in space and there were roughly 50,000 humans left that's it that's it and the, the 12 colonies of Cobalt is what um, they called those 12 planets in that system. And interestingly enough, and it wasn't something that occurred to me until later on, was those 12 worlds were actually named after the Zodiac signs. Yep. Aralon, Aquaria, Canceron, Caprica, Geminon, Leonis, Libran, Picon, Segatron, Scorpia, Tauron, and Virgon. And if, mm-hmm. the, if if the correlation isn't obvious, I don't know what to tell you, friends. But yes, right. I, th- I thought that was very interesting that they they chose to name them like that. So the ones that get mentioned more often than not, and during the series, if I remember right, is like Caprica, Picon, what else? Virgon, a couple of times maybe, and Geminon. Those are the ones I remember getting mentioned. Yeah. Caprica mentioned. is like the New York City mm-hmm. of BSG, right? In a sense, and so. certain planets were responsible for certain exports. Right. I can't. I can't remember which one of these was because I think Guy's Baltar was from one of the farming more, planets. Right, and he was. It was a very good episode where he, after he had gotten arrested, you remember this? He had gotten arrested. I can't remember who he was talking to, but he lapses back into his old accent. Like his his native accent from where he was from, like he was a, he was like born low class. Right. And he worked his way up and went to school and got educated and all this stuff. And he lapses into like a, a less sophisticated native accent. I was like, that is so cool, and I absolutely love him. Yeah, <laughs> like he was trash, yeah. and I absolutely loved him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which kind of explained, you know, why he was the way he was, why he was self centered and stuck up, and like you said, cowardly. It explained a lot, and I—that's what I appreciated. One of the things I appreciated so much about the show that they fleshed these people out and made them realistic, like real people with right. real flaws. Yeah. yeah, and if you think about it, because he always was hiding the fact that he was, you know, a poor farmer peasant. Mm-hmm. So if you think about the fact that he was always hiding that aspect of himself, it makes sense that his character would be terrified then of when this bigger thing happens. Of people not only finding out that he he was responsible, but he's also in his mind a fraud dealing with imposter syndrome. Oh, no doubt. Even though he was very smart. Oh yeah. Know, obviously, he couldn't have gotten to where he was without you know having some measure of wits. But yeah, yeah, through and through, he was he he probably could have made it regardless. But I imagine he stepped on more than a few necks to get to where he was. By the time we meet them in the show, so oh, there's no yeah. doubt. Yeah, there's no doubt he had skeletons in his closet because he was oh, a pretty yeah. asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then uh, as his character moved on there towards the last season when he became cult leader, yeah. Baltar, <laughs> and he had a harem of women, one of the things you would have to think about is how many people were descendants of him because the man was getting around. <laughs> he did. He had no problem whatsoever. He even hooked up with uh, Starbucks. Yeah, he, he had game. And, you know, and he was completely humiliated when she uttered another man's name. But, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. right. The episode. Like, that's what he gets. <laughs> yep. Oh, yep. And I'm going to go ahead and move on to the last character. Um, there were sort of other ones that kind of were in between the two, but not really that mean a whole lot. 
Um, the last character is Colonel Ty, who is um, the second in command under Adama. And in the original series, uh, Colonel Ty was played by actor Terry Carter, um, once again, a black man. And then in uh, the reimaged, he was portrayed by actor Michael Hogan, um, who is, uh, not that it matters, he is Canadian. A lot of those actors are Canadian. Oh, yeah, a bunch of them were, because yeah. they filmed it in Toronto. Right. So it, it makes sense that a lot of their pool would have come from uh, Canada. But Michael Hogan played Colonel Ty so well, because once again, it's another guy who's tired, ready to retire, also an alcoholic, an extreme alcoholic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, on top of being an a-hole, <laughs> missing He's his also, wife. He, no, he has a cuckold. He's a cuckold husband. Let's not forget that. Yes. Yes. He may be missing his wife, but his wife got around. Uh, yes, she did with sort of Gaius Baltar levels of enthusiasm. Really? And and no and no doubt. Um, oh, who played her? Um, oh, I have to see here. The actress that played her, I had seen her in other stuff like years before. So I was delighted to see her in the, Kate Vernon. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like excited to see her in that role when they finally introduced her. But boy, I have no doubt she contributed to his alcoholism. I have no doubt. Oh, for sure, definitely. Not that, <laughs> not that it was not that it was her fault, but dealing with her added to his stress. I have no doubt because she was she's a piece of work. Yes, yeah, for <laughs> sure. That's uh, that is putting it mildly. Mildly, yeah, piece of work. So. So out of those, like out of those main characters and some of the supporting characters, who are your favorites? Um, I loved Adama, mm-hmm. uh, Admiral Adama, Edward James almost. The casting was perfect. His acting was perfect. You know, the nuance that he put into that character. You, bel- you would forget that it was an actor. It was almost like you were watching a documentary and they were following an actual real person around with the camera. That is true. He played that character so, so well. Um, I also love the portrayal that Michael Hogan did of Colonel Ty mm-hmm. because he played that that role as a damaged man so, so well. Especially during the, was it season three, when they might finally made the new Caprica and he got arrested? Yeah. yeah. Ooh, boy. That yeah. was like, he was already angry and bitter to begin with. And then having been pretty much held as a prisoner of war, I guess you could say, or a political yeah. prisoner, and then losing an eye to boot. Yeah, that made him even more pissed off and bitter. Like, he was he was clearly a smart man. But like you say, he was emotionally damaged. And he just, if it had not been for, you know, the attempted genocide of humanity, that man probably would have died in the bottle. Oh, oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, and- I mean... He stepped up, but it, where he could, he, I mean, he, it didn't, obviously it wasn't a cure-all, but I agree. He he portrayed the shit out of that character. I I, yeah. I had a love-hate thing for Colonel Ty. <laughs> and sort of the one thing, though, about season three, I guess, that's kind of worth mentioning is um, it took place on a planet, for the most mm-hmm. part, on New Caprica, which was a barely habitable planet that they discovered and they're thinking well maybe we can hide from the cylons didn't work cylons surrounded them mm-hmm. and it took a good year or so for the galactica to figure out how to free them but what they did was they took place of what was happening at the time which was uh, the iraq war and kind of turned it on its head mm-hmm. the humans on new caprica were essentially the iraqis and uh, the cylons were basically kind of the americans it it sort of threw that imagery on its head um but after watching that it did make me realize you know maybe some of our policies over there are slightly off maybe um, maybe which is you know obviously we could go into very very big depth <laughs> detail about the war in iraq and all of that mm-hmm. um if if you do go back and watch it now that i've sort of put that earbug in your head you'll realize oh oh Oh, (laughs) but yeah, when they captured uh, Colonel Ty, they they tortured the the heck out of him. And also during that time, Baltar was the president of the humans. 
and utterly useless. I mean, he's always been utterly useless, but yeah, he took the cake during season three. Like he had turned the presidential ship into like a harem, <laughs> basically a dirty little filthy harem. And he, he was like a, a puppet president basically because he was in league with the Cylons and he was pretty much doing their bidding. Yeah. For which he would be brought to trial later on uh, for war crimes. But that, you know, that's season four. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I loved also um, President Rosalind. Um, that's, a, that's a character that was only in the reimaged, but the reimage doesn't work without President Rosalind. And uh, sort of the cool thing about her character is. Before the attack, she was a member of the government. She was the secretary of education and she was something like 49th in line to the presidency. <laughs> Some insane number. <laughs> That's what's funny. I thought that was way it is too. And when I was doing my notes, I'm like, let me look that up just to make sure. Uh-huh. It's actually 16. Oh, uh, well, still that 15 people ahead of you dying is... You, when but you're 16th think, in line, you don't expect to be president anytime soon. I think they did say in the show that she was like 46th or something. And maybe that's just the way the government was in, you know, Galactica world in the right. 12 colonies. That may, may be what that was. And she indeed was that far back. But it makes it that much more compelling when, yeah. you know, you find out she's literally the only remaining member of upper level of, of the government left. Yeah. She, and she only lived because she was on the Galactic at the time of the attacks. Yeah. And on top of that, in the beginning, she had um, the next within like the next day or so or whatever, she had actually put in her resignation from that position. Mm-hmm. So she was literally like two days away from not even being in the government. Mm-hmm. And then she ends up being the president. And considering everything that they had to go through, uh, she was a really good president, mm-hmm. <laughs> and a really Really well-written character, obviously portrayed by a really excellent actress. But I think her character was having an affair with the president. Yeah, that was why she was resigning. Yeah, and plus she had breast cancer. She just found out she had breast cancer. Right. Yeah, and that's that's a a plot line that comes up again during during the series, and that's important too because she goes she undergoes a really controversial treatment for it. Mm where she starts supposedly seeing signs of, of how to get to the planet where the rest of humanity belongs. Again, like the level of religion and theology and spiritualism that runs through this show is bananas. Yeah. Like they're, a, they're a multi, they don't believe in one God. They won't believe in multiple gods. Yeah. So they and even have an expression where they say God's damn instead of goddamn. Right. Like, and, and the whole thing, too, is really, if you think about it, the whole premise of the show after everything being destroyed is based on Adama telling the ultimate lie of, I know where the 13th colony is, Earth. He didn't know where mm-hmm. the 13th colony was, he but he knew that he had to give these 50,000 people hope. Something. And if you don't have hope in a goal that you are striving to, you will people will give up and there would have been you know, a bunch of suicides, the sh- the fleet not staying together. And he immediately sort of recognized, I have to have this because it's the only thing that's going to give hope. And so that entire thing was based on a lie and only he knew it until mm-hmm. like season two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like a couple people called him out on that. I think one of them might have been Starbucks. And I think the president called him out too. Like, you don't know. He's like, yeah. well, who cares? I had to do something. I mean, right. what else have we got? We we have nothing. I had to give everybody something. And he probably did it for himself, too, really. When you think about it. But Well, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. But yep. if you think about it, basing all of that on a lie, just to give everybody hope, is kind of a, it's a oddly... It's a gamble, but it was oddly the thing that had to be done. It was the the tough call, and he made it. He, so. he he was like the epitome of pragmatism. Yeah. Whereas yeah. the president wasn't always like that because she kind of evened him out and they didn't like each other at the Not beginning. Not at first. No. But I'm so glad like you saw them organically come together and end up like literally as a couple by the end of the series. Yeah. I, yeah. I lo- I'd love to see it. But 
Yeah, he was pragmatic. And sometimes I would cuss him. I, I literally cussed out every main character in this show at one time or another. Right, like, right. Why are you doing this? But then, like you said, he's responsible for, well, partly responsible, I guess you'd say, for literally the last bits of humanity. And he has to do, he has to do what's right for most people and not just for a few. Sometimes he didn't make that decision like that, but most yeah, of the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, since you asked me, out of the six that were in both that we discussed and then another character that wasn't in there, who were your favorites? But real quick, let me add, Adama is actually the Ethiopian word for Adam. And oh. um, when I'm talking to Adam, I'm talking, they did that intentionally with Bible Adam. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It makes sense. Yeah, uh, real quick. But now let's move on to uh, your sort of favorite out of that list of six that were on both and maybe a couple other characters. Of course, Adama and the president. I love them both. Gaius, I've already mentioned that. Like He was the absolute worst, and there was just something about his sliminess that was appealing. I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, the supporting characters, though, there were a couple that I really liked following. One of them was Carl Agathon. He was one of the transport pilots, and his call sign was Hilo. Uh-huh. And late, later on the series, he ends up marrying one of the eights, uh, one of the, the reconjured eights, I guess you'd say, who was had the uh, call sign Athena, and they end up having a baby. Um, and then also Galen Tyrell, the chief of the debt. He was the senior NCO on the ship. And yes. while he had his questionable moments, like we mentioned earlier, he was having an affair with one of the one of the pilots, which was a, a no-no because, you know, the pilots are officers and he was not, but who cared? Just as long as you kept it quiet. And then he had to marry literally one of the most annoying characters in this show. One of the most annoying characters ever in television history, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Mm-mm. But I liked him. You know? Yeah. I liked him a lot, except for that, that judgment. I think he only married her just because she was there. Like that is precisely why he did it, and it's precisely why she airlocked herself. No, she didn't. It did was she, I thought she, she didn't. did. That was one of my favorite episodes, and I'll tell you why. Because that's right. <laughs> I remember it was old girl that was the president's uh, aide, right after she found out she was one of the final five, and she found out Callie knew. I think Callie had overheard the final five talking, so mm-hmm. she knew. That old girl was one of the final five, and she got her in the airlock and took the baby because right. you know, her and she had had a baby on New Caprica. She took the baby and said, "Yeah, you can't live in out the airlock." I was yeah, like, "Holy you're right. smokes!" You're Holy right. Smokes. I I don't know why I was thinking that she had unalived herself, Mm-mm. but now that I think about it, I want to say that was part of her story arc that she had, hadn't she attempted it or thought about it. There was a part of the storyline when was it season two? She was still crushing on the chief bad. Um, something had happened where he had sleep, he had slept walk or something happened that he unintentionally beat her up. Right. And she didn't care. Like she was like forgiving him and shit. And I was like, that was part of the reason why I despise your character so bad. I'm like, you love this guy so much that even though it wasn't his fault that he did what he did to you, like you, you, you sympathize with him even more. Like her character just blew my mind. Just how simple and simping she was. I was like, ah, yeah. Gag. Yeah. Gag. I think, you know what? I think she did mention or some point talked about unaliving herself. Cause I think she was like real depressed. Yeah. And yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Now but- there was one character who I did not necessarily like the character. Mm-hmm. I just love his name. And that's because it got to the point to where they were looking for names and they didn't want them to all be super English names. And so somebody, you know, was like online looking up names and somehow they ended up on Roman names. And that was the character Sosinus, because that is a name from Rome and around the, you know, zero BC. And I just loved that there was that character Sosinus because I just loved every time someone said his name. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of characters, um, Edward James, almost his son, had a supporting reoccurring role as one of the Viper pilots. He was Brendan Hot Dog Costanza. 
Go figure. <laughs> I remember his character too. He was yeah. a he was kind of a goofy goofy guy. He, had, he got killed. Something. Yeah. I, I unfortunately there have been so many deaths on the show. It, it, sometimes you forget how it happened, but I think I remember his character had actually. It was an yeah. accident. I think that that he was a victim of. So. Um, one of, I was going to real quick. One of the things I loved about that show, though, is that the Galactica herself was a character, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. in a lot of sci-fi shows, the ship is a character. I mean, the Millennium Falcon's a character in mm-hmm. Star Wars. In the original Star Trek, the Enterprise is a character. In some of the later Star Treks, they kind of got away from that a little bit. And when Voyager was first announced, one of the things they said was because they're so far from home that over time the ship is going to start showing that it's not getting the repairs that it needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that didn't happen. Yeah, Voyager a- always looked good. Pristine. <laughs> yeah. But in Galactica, they started with an older ship, but by the end of season four, the Galactica was not doing well. Besides the, the besides the multitude of damage it had taken in many many battles, a lot of it was just wear and tear, like cracks and uh, pipes busting, and ch- I mean just raggedy. Just Fixing the frame, and yeah, yeah, they'd be on the ship, and then you'd yeah. be on one part of it, and all of a sudden you'd start hearing this weird creaking. Well, it was the metal, yeah, because it was getting fatigued, and so where their joint, you know, where their joints were, and they connected, it would make these weird creaking sounds. So towards the end of season four, not only are they racing to get away from the Cylons. Mm-hmm. They're racing to find somewhere they can get before the Galactica just finally can't be fixed. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I yeah. loved that aspect of the show. That was a good part of it, definitely. And how do I put it? When you think about it, the ship and Adama were kind of two parts, mm-hmm. two halves of a whole. Both of them were kind of antiquated. Both of them were tired, but they still had one job left to do. And when that job was finally finished, they both could rest. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. yeah. I'm, 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 I will always be sad that President Roslin died in that last episode. I will always be sad for that. But yeah, I, I, that's, that's kind of how I see it. They, they both did one last, the most important job they've ever had. And they saw it through and it was time to rest. So yeah. And <laughs> another great acting scenes between. Oh, yeah. Edward James Almost and Mary McDonald. When she died, that whole <laughs> sequence, you're just like this big crying mass of mm-hmm. <laughs> she did mm-hmm. it though. She mm-hmm. did it. She mm-hmm. saw it. She her. made it. And he took her. He, he took her on the flight across the I was like, why? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I wasn't expecting a Hallmark moment on the Basically. sci-fi show. <laughs> they had and they had those two actors had really good chemistry. They did. Out of, out of everybody that coupled up on the show, they had some of the best chemistry. So, but before we go any further, I want to touch on another yeah. tidbit of the show. And it's it's from both the original and the reimagining was the word frack. Yes. Frack um, originated in the 1978 series. And it was what's called a bowderized version of the real life expletive, the F-bomb. And bowderized just means having... Uh, offensive or improper material removed or altered. So that, that was just their version in that universe of the, the F-bomb. A couple quotes using fract. We are well and truly fract, uttered by Alex Crashdown Quartano in the Hand of God episode. By uh, Starbuck, I guarantee fracking to you. I will put you down this time for good. And I will include in the notes for this episode, listening friends, a YouTube video of a compilation of some of the best fracking moments from the show. So the reimagined series production team said they felt like frack, which in the original series was was spelled F-R-A-C-K, should be a four letter word in the reimagined, hence F-R-A-K. And the original version was used in the dialogue in the original series to comply with FCC and other broadcast decency standards because the FCC had jurisdiction over the content of broadcast TV, 
but did not have or does not have jurisdiction over cable services. And because the show aired on sci-fi, it was considered a cable service. However, the use of a profanity substitute rather than the real word is convenient should those episodes be broadcast on broadcast TV because editing for verbal content would not be required. Mm -hmm. That's why they did it. I thought that was just a genius backstory for that. And it was yeah. always cute that, that, that I, I love that that word carried over into the reimagining. And there were like little yeah. bitty things in the reimagined universe that were like interesting quirks, like how media memos on paper or books always had those weird corners on them. They weren't 90 degree angles. They were like right. 45. <laughs> yeah. I was like, why did they do that? Who knows? I like, actually, oh. um, if you go and watch the special features in the box set, which mm -hmm. I have because I'm a nerd. Mm -hmm. One of the production designers said that they did that in the in the miniseries just because they wanted it to look different, not like Earth. They thought that would look cool. And they, of course, when they did the miniseries, they didn't know that it was going to be approved for an actual series. Mm -hmm. And somewhere around episode five in the series, the production team thought, why the hell did we do this? This was a mistake. <laughs> Because they had, they were continually having to make it with those cut corners, mm -hmm. and apparently it was just a pain in the ass. <laughs> I believe it. It was cool, but I believe it because even the dog tags were octagonal instead of you know yeah. rectangular with the round corners. Even those were had that little touch to them. So yeah, it was cool, but I can't imagine having to pay that much attention to all the set pieces that you had to make sure the con the continuity stays. From episode to episode to season to season, I'm like, I know they were exhausted. <laughs> they were exhausted. So. Yeah, they definitely were. And yeah, I think with that, though, we have kind of reached time-wise the end of what we're calling episode one. Mm -hmm. um, but before we do that, I thought we could end with two of the sort of iconic sounds from the original series. And one of them actually did, well, actually both of them did make it into the re-image later on when they introduced the original sort of Cylon characters. So if you don't mind, I will play that real quick. Of course. So here we go. So if you've listened to or watched, you know that that is the sound that the um, eyes made. They had that flashing red light that went from side to side. Mm -hmm. It was also um, in Kit from Knight Rider. And then they changed the sound to smidge. But that was uh, the same sound that Kit's little eye made. And then the way that the Cylon spoke was also iconic. And uh, here we go on on the way they spoke. And if you do remember, you'll this will immediately bring back memories. <laughs> attention, attention! His Eminence, the Imperious Leader, will be with us shortly. His ship has landed at the Air Dome. Presenting His Eminence, our Imperious Leader. <laughs> that's funny <laughs> but yeah and now that you said that i this is where the element of the classism works into even with how the cylons existed because they had a hierarchy because what was the cylons in the original series now have become the servant class uh in the cylon race in the reimagined version because yeah. all the all the Cylons that you see actually doing things are are multiple copies of just eight right. versions. But what was the original Cylons like the mechanical, you know, metal suits? Now they were like guards and servants and things like that in the reimagining, and they they would really talk down to them. Like <laughs> that was yeah. Wild. Yeah, they like, still had the the, the full-on robotic Cylons. They were mm -hmm. completely re-imaged, more modern looking. Mm -hmm. But you were exactly right. They created this awesome backstory that the Cylons from the 78 were the original Cylons that started the war 50 years prior against the humans. 
But then as they left and things evolved and they created new ones, they ended up being the servant class again, which is why they rebelled initially against the humans. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. once again, everything as they said, this has happened before and will happen again. And it repeated. So absolutely. I love it. I love it. But yeah, um, we're going to wrap up for this yeah. first half. Thank you, listening friends, for joining us. Of course, tune in with us next time and uh, for our second part. And um, we're going to have even more fun. So be there, be square. Yeah, yeah. And if you want to support us, remember, you can go to buymeacoffee.com backslash hyperfocus pods. And with that, we will catch you on the next one. And now, folks, it's time to say good night. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.